Today's scripture reading is John 1.14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Great job, William. Merry Christmas, church. <laughs> Please open your Bibles to John chapter 3, Gospel of John chapter 3. Quick announcement, um, when, you be, when you're leaving the services this morning, we're going to be offering you to take one of these. Our church is going to be involved in reading through the Gospel of John uh, for the month of January. We've divided up those 20 chapters into 31 readings and uh, would like to invite you to take one of these. We're going to be sending that out also via email on our KCC notes every single day, kind of a prompt to where we are for the time. But uh, if you'd like to have something to place in your Bible to mark that, uh, we want to equip you with that on the backs of prayer uh, that we're going to be inviting you to pray uh, as we make our study through, uh, make our way through the study of John. I'm on medication this morning, so part of me is not here. Um, a part of me is here that I'm not used to, and my, I, I don't know, whatever the medication is that I'm taking just makes me feel a little bit fuzzy, so uh, I ask for your grace this morning. Communication's tricky enough, let alone trying to add to it some medicine, because if you're seeking to be understood, what you say matters. How you say it matters, and to whom you say it matters. He said, well, Jimmy, that's real special, but why the short course on communication? <laughs> well, I fumbled the communication ball this week, and I just want to confess it to everybody and ask for your grace. Um, the texting football, to be exact. I was on my way to work, and I stopped by McDonald's to get a cup of coffee. Realized I left my wallet at the house. That's all right. I had some emergency change in my change box in the truck. And so while I waited for my order at the drive through window, I texted Gail, I left my wallet at the house last night. Uh, if you're out, please bring it to me today. Well, at least I thought I sent that text to Gail. No, the text, I left my wallet on our nightstand. If you're out, please bring it to me, went to Ann Robertson. <laughs> now, I just read the text when it came back. Of which she said, I'm not at your house. <laughs> and I thought that was one of those veiled wife comments, okay? What do you mean Gail says, I'm not at your house? Then I saw who it was from, and I just texted back what you see on the screen. Oops. Emoji, emoji, emoji. It matters what you communicate, but also how you communicate it. And to whom you communicate it to. Which is why I think God is the best communicator ever. He's so wise. Especially when it comes to expressing his incredible love for you. He knew what to communicate, but he also knew who to communicate it to and how. In Luke's gospel, we read these words. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. And they were keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Messiah, the Lord. 
And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And then suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels left them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Hey, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, that the Lord has told us about. Let's pray before we go any further, church. God, we can only imagine how crazy and how marvelous and how wonderful that announcement had to be to those people that night. And we ask, Father, that you um, give your spirits power and energy and communication to helping that come alive again today. We so don't want the presence and the lights and the hurry and the bustle and the, just the stress to overshadow what this season is all about. And so we, we're inviting your spirit to come and take this sack lunch of a message, especially today, this sack lunch of a messenger, and to, uh, to speak to us a word we need to hear desperately today. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, Do you notice the what of the Christmas message that was shared by the angels? Here it is. Here's the what. God has come to rescue you. He's bringing you a Savior. Where did he choose to deliver it? Just outside a little town called Bethlehem. How? Delivery by angels. And the appropriate who? A couple of shepherds. Could a group of who have been more ordinary? Just blue collar everyday Walmart shopping, funnel cake eating ordinary people. Those are shepherds. Not a group known for their wealth or degrees or their power, just ordinary folk. Just like us. But why them? Well, I've lived long enough to see that those who often have less are open to God's message of more. For one simple reason, they actually realize they have a need. Sometimes those of us who have so much rarely recognize that we're needy for anything. Now, if needy describes you, and I hope it does, great. Because Jesus has a word for those who are in need today. Today's message is for anybody who's ever felt unappreciated, unnoticed, uninvited, unwanted, whoever you are. This Christmas season at KCC, we're looking at several firsts connected with the first Christmas. And if you've sent in some of your first Christmas ornaments or pictures of those ornaments, I just want to say thank you. We've been showing those at the beginning of the services the last couple of weeks because firsts are important. First day at school, first kiss, first car, first Christmas. I have to believe it was also important for God. His first Christmas. Especially when we see through it how far God would go to bring his people hope. How far God would go to bring his people peace. How far God would go to bring them joy. And as we light the last candle for Christmas this season, how far God would go to bring us his love. When Jesus came, it was a first for God in his effort to try to communicate that message. He had been doing that since the beginning of time, but, but to take on human flesh was a first for him. To become one of us was a first for him. 
And somebody asked, well, is that message really that significant? All God loves us. Doesn't everybody know that? Well, I think everybody's heard it. I'm just not convinced everybody knows it, even those of us in this room. You may recognize on the screen what's called Cleopatra's Needle. It's located on the banks of the Thames River. It was sculpted 3,500 years ago in Egypt as a gift for a pharaoh. But like a lot of other Egyptian artifacts, it was transported to England and placed there on September 12, 1878. At the base of that needle, they put a time capsule. British believed that their society most likely would probably go the way Egypt's had gone, and that is that they would eventually become extinct. And so they wanted the world to know a little bit about this time in history and what they were about as a people. And so in the time capsule, they placed some coins, some children's toys, a razor, some pictures of what they considered to be the most beautiful women of their day and age. But they also placed inside it one sentence in that time capsule that was thought to be so significant that it was translated into 216 languages. And this is the sentence. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Interesting. For centuries, that verse recorded in John's gospel has meant a great deal to those of us who are Christians. Amen? We've placed it on billboards. You've seen it on a lot of handheld signs at different sporting events popping up behind the camera. But it's been significant to us for almost two millennia. But I think it still remains a fair question. Why in the world did you choose that? That line, that verse, that sentence, or a couple of sentences. What's so significant about them? And my first response would be, well, as far as God's concerned, that's the what. That is the what that all of the book that we know as the scriptures is trying to convey to us. I love you this much. You matter this much. And my second reason for why that would be placed in there would be every single one of us is going to live by some kind of foundational narrative of our lives. We're going to pick some central story that's going to instruct how we live and who we are and pattern ourselves after that. A worldview, somebody else might say, that's going to shape and mold your values and what gives essence and meaning to your life. And this verse, John 3.16, contains the heartbeat of the Christian faith, the basis for why God hopes we all adopt as the narrative for our lives. Now, if God loving you is not your narrative, if it's not your narrative, if God's character and even his existence is a question mark for you, then I need to ask you, where do you today find your sense of purpose? One of the most popular narratives of our day is that we evolved from pond scum, literally. There's no purpose to life. There's no real sense in coming from somebody or going somewhere. Life is just one Darwinian series of events involving survival of the fittest. That's the worldview and that's the narrative that most of us are being taught as far as our beginnings and even where we're going, if we're going anywhere. And I got to ask you, do you believe that? You don't have to answer out loud, but I'm asking. You may be here in a church building, but you know, I do, I do believe that. 
I really do. Well, if we're just a lot of impersonal cosmic accidents, what really matters then? Including us. What makes you think you matter? Christmas stands in stark contrast to that narrative because the manger shouts this <laughs> You matter. You matter this much that God would get involved to get this message across to you. Now, the evolutionary narrative can't and ever, can't ever communicate that. We've been involved in a series of lessons on Wednesday night that's really impacted me. And I don't know why, if, it, if it's just a stage of my life that I'm in or, or what. But Tim Keller studied the reason for God. has really helped reinforce this narrative that I'm living under and why I believe in it so much. Because if we look at the other narrative that I've just described in, in just a little bit, it just falls so short of anything that I think offers any meaning. Tim Keller says this, I believe it's not only illogical, but it's hypocritical to claim there is no God and that we're just evolved accidents and then from that say there is some universal inherent dignity in human life along with some sense of justice and morality that we should all ascribe to. Now, I, it's a little bit of wordy, but I, but I invite you to get the book. I invite you to come on Wednesday night to our classes, but go back and hear that again on the Internet this week. If you really believe the Darwinian evolutionary track, you know, that goes with all that, if this planet is subject to the simple law of the survival of the fittest, then who is anybody to say that putting yourself in a hotel room in Vegas and taking out an automatic gun or guns and eliminating 59 people from the planet is unjust. They're just weak, aren't they? And Stephen Paddock is just living out his instinctive desire to dominate and eliminate all those who are the weakest in society. He's just furthering evolutionary purpose in trying to create superior human beings. And if we're by nature just cosmic accidents and what we believe about ourselves doesn't matter, what you call justice doesn't matter. What you call truth doesn't matter. What you call right and wrong doesn't matter. What matters is who survives till tomorrow. One of the reasons John 3.16 has resonated with mankind throughout the centuries is it has more than just a different story to offer. I think it has a better story to offer. Christmas proclaims we do have worth. We are more than pond scum. We do have a purpose. There's a creator who saw in us such worth that he emptied himself of power and prestige and comfort to come and connect with us in the most vulnerable of ways as a babe in a manger. And he tried to do that with people who by all rights had forfeited their right to be connected with him at all. Because of our rebellious attitude that said, we make a better sovereign than you do. Now, it may not be a traditional Christmas message, but Jesus is coming, I think, speaks clearest and loudest to those of you this season who don't believe anybody would want to come for you. That you don't matter. Because in the midst of the gifts and the songs and the lights and the anticipation and the joy to the world... There are a lot of folks who struggle with emptiness and sadness and darkness and the hopelessness of this one thought, I really don't matter much to anybody. 
And here's why you've bought that lie. Because there is a prince of darkness who will feed it to you regularly. He will. He wants to steal and kill and destroy your hope and your peace and your joy and the truth that you are loved desperately by the God of heaven. Well, into that darkness, I really want to come this morning and bring another option. I think it's the best present. Some of you can unwrap this entire Christmas if you truly open this gift and receive it this morning. And that is that love says, God says, I will do whatever it takes to help you know you're significant to me. To prove you matter to me. And he demonstrates it in the, in the most obscure places, a little town by the name of Bethlehem on the spot of the road very few people ever noticed. And he shows up as a baby in person himself saying, I, I love the world this much. You matter this much. And you know one thing I'm learning as, a, as an adult even that I just started to kind of get the knack of when I was a kid is that just showing up matters. My dad, bless his heart, was on the road five days a week doing his best to try to make a living for our family and he couldn't be home much to see much of anything, let alone come see me play tennis when I was doing that in high school. But I gotta tell you, there was nothing that made my week more than when I would be in the middle of a, a match and all of a sudden I'd look up and there was my dad and his butcher supply blues, you know, his fingers in the fence, watching me take on someone in a tennis match or playing doubles with a doubles partner in a tennis match. It didn't matter. It didn't matter what the score was or how I was playing. It just made my week. Just him showing up. I knew what it'd take for him to get his route done so he could be wherever I was to play in a match. In regards to what the outcome was of that match, I left, I promise you, feeling like a winner just because my dad showed up. That's how God came to show his love among us. He showed up in his one and only son, and he demonstrates how we could have life in him. 1 John 4 and verse 10 says this, and this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, I think it's amazing this time of the year that, that we talk a lot about his coming, and, and, and there's a lot of folks who embrace that coming, even though they're not even believers of Christ, but they don't understand why he came. He didn't just love us with a whatever it took kind of love. No, he loved us with a wherever it takes me kind of love. And it took him to a cross. James did a beautiful job of showing this a few moments ago. Where it's not just about a sweet baby. No, that sweet baby's going to come up, grow up, to be a sacrificed lamb. It's an amazing time of the year when a lot of folks, again, embrace the baby, but they, they leave out the cross. But you can't. Scripture won't let us do that. To see the meaning behind John 3, 16, i got to tell you a little bit about a story that's a little strange. But you know what? The Old Testament's full of those kind of stories. Wonderful and sometimes a little bit strange on the edge. This one takes place in the book of Numbers. The children of Israel have left Egypt and they're on their way to the promised land. And as they often did, they were murmuring. Parents, you heard any of that around your house this week? Murmuring. A little complaining. Well, God allowed some venomous snakes to come inside their camp and bite them. Parents, I'm not recommending this part of the Bible. Not everything is to be, you know, an illustration for how. 
God allows some snakes into the camp to bite the people. And so they cry out to Moses, do something, stop this. And here's what God tells Moses to do. He says, make a brass pole, put an image of a snake on it, stand it up in the middle of the camp, and everybody who looks to that snake will be saved and they will not die. I'm sure when Moses made that announcement to the people, some of them said, well, can he just kill the snakes? What do you think? God didn't operate like that. Almost always he asks us to put our judgment and our wisdom to the side and trust his plan over our perceptions, even when it doesn't make sense. That's why he asked a 99-year-old man to help get an 89-year-old woman pregnant when they've never had a child before. Ask Abraham and Sarah. That's why I asked an army to walk about a city and blow a horn and believe that a wall would fall down at a place called Jericho. The point of either of those moments wasn't because of God's flair that he wanted to show everybody. It's to make the point, you're not smart enough, folks. You're not competent enough. You're, you're not the wisest to save yourself. You're going to have to trust me as a means of rescue. And that's, that's part of what John 3 has in front of it when Jesus is talking to a man by the name of Nicodemus who was a biblical scholar, knew those stories that I just mentioned. And here are the two verses immediately in front of John 3:16. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everybody who believes in him will have eternal life. If you're going to celebrate the coming of Jesus, you're going to have to appreciate why he came. Jesus said, I must come. I must be lifted up because the penalty for your sins must be paid if you and I are going to hang out forever. There was nothing in the coming of the Jesus was accidental. There's nothing in the death of Jesus that was accidental. It was all part of God's plan. Love took him to a crib, but that crib was the means to a cross because he had to go to a specific place so that he could take your place and my place. And so that's why John 3.16 says, for God did not send his son into the world. Actually, the verse after John 3.16 says this, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It means condemnation's possible. It doesn't have to be. It has to be actual in your life, but it's possible. If you want to continue to turn your back on God and think you make the best sovereign, he's going to let you experience what an eternity is like going in that direction. Oh, but if you'll just turn for a moment and say, you know, not done well with the sovereign thing. How about you be my Lord, my King, my Savior? Oh, my. Life's just about to get better in so many ways. John 3.16 says eternal life is a reality where we can experience whoever having the opportunity for that. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life now I've underscored that word there because man what a powerful powerful word especially for those who feel like that they are less than great my two daughters share a love for baking one of them's here with us uh, to celebrate Christmas my other daughter will be down from Houston the day after Christmas but they both love to bake and they both can cook some brownies I'm telling you and I loved it whenever I'd come home some days. Well, I kind of loved it, hated it a little bit. And I smelt that incredible smell of brownies having been made in the sportsman house. 
And I say it was kind of a, a yin-yang thing because um, most of the time I'd walk in, I'd hear something like, don't touch those brownies, that's for life group. Don't touch those brownies, that's for a shower. But I lived for the day when I would walk in and I'd smell that smell and say, who are the brownies for? And one of my women in my house would say, whoever. Ah, it's a great word. (laughs) Whoever. Get you some of that. We don't live in a whoever world, do we? Life apart from God doesn't operate on the whoever principle. All of us at one time or another took middle school science. That's why this slide just popped up here. And one time or another, I can guess, and I'm just going to see if you have quick raise again. Did you ever make one of those models of the planets that represented that? Did you ever get the paper mache out and you all have to do that? Okay, about half of you had to go through that misery. But we, we, we made our little model, and there it was from Mercury to Pluto. But if you, if you did, had that assignment given to you today in middle school, it would look like this. Notice anything missing? Pluto. Who wants the story behind that? Well, the story as I read it, if I can find it in my notes. Oh, there it is. Some scientists in Prague determined that Pluto didn't deserve to be called a planet anymore. And so they deplaneted Pluto and attached to it the name asteroid number 134340. How about that? I mean, here's poor little Pluto minding his own business, going around the sun like he always had gone when he shows up one day at Planet Club, and they say, you can't be a member here anymore. You're not a planet. Have you ever been Plutoed? You thought you were in, you thought you were a part, you thought you were to be included. But life doesn't operate by the whoever principle, does it? Life operates by the principle of appearance and performance. Are you the prettiest? Did you win the most? Did you score? Did you sell? Did you achieve? Did you attain? Did you accomplish the most? Do you have the most likes? Are you on the cover of something somewhere? And in a world like that, most of us are going to wind up being unappreciated, unnoticed, uninvited, unemployed, and usually unwanted. And John 3.16 says that is not how God sees the world. Christmas says God's one and only came with a message that could be summed up in one word. Whoever. Whoever. Jesus loved that word. Just two chapters later, Jesus is going to take a woman and have a conversation with her. Well, that's going to shock not only her, but also the disciples when they come up a little bit later. Because she's been kicked out of a club. And here's what Jesus told her. Whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Later, he's going to talk to a huge crowd of people who lived on the fringe of their society. And here's what he's going to say to them. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Maybe the best of all, Jesus is at a funeral and he says to a grieving sister, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. I'm telling you, God loves the word whoever. Because his love is not just for certain parts of the world. No, in a certain part of the world, the one and only was born, and he was willing to do whatever it took to go wherever it took him to offer forever life to whoever would believe in him. And so God has a word for you today. 
But to hear it, some of you are going to have to replace another word that's been dominating your life. However. Everybody in this room has been plutoed by that word. However. We know you'd like to attend our university. However, your grades just aren't good enough. We know you want to be on our team or in our club. However, you don't have what it takes. We know you need this job. However, you don't have enough experience. We know you want to marry our daughter. However, you're not our kind of people. You know whose favorite word is however? Oh, I gave it away. I put it up there. The devil. Favorite word. I know you've heard that God loves the world. However, you cheated on your mate and blew up your marriage. Don't think heaven's going to forget that. I know you say, or you've heard them say, that grace is for everybody. However, didn't you get an abortion when you were in college? I know that the church says that they'll accept anyone right where they are. However, they don't know that you've been in jail. And they certainly don't know that you've got an addiction problem. I know they say that anybody can come to Christ. However, they don't want you. <coughs> no. Not after what you've done. Friend, if you believe that, please get a new word for your life. Can we substitute whoever for however? Because Christmas says the God of the manger accepts you wherever you've been, whenever you're ready, no matter whatever you've done. In God, in Jesus Christ, whoever trumps however. And the picture on the left is a young boy by the name of Justice Uwesu. That picture there on the left was taken when he was nine years old. He'd been orphaned by that ethnic genocide in Rwanda we've talked about the last couple of months. It occurred in 1994. He was living in a burned-out car in a Rwandan garbage dump where he scavenged for food and clothes. During the day, he was a street beggar when Claire Afong found him. She first met him when he was begging and probably hadn't bathed, she figured, in over a year. She met Justice one Sunday when she was visiting the dump, and the other children just scattered when she walked up. But filthy and hungry, Justice stayed put, and she asked him, Why? Why'd you stay when all the others ran? And Justin said, I want to go to school. Can you help me? Now, that was a great wish, but Justice had a lot of howevers attached to that wish. Justin wanted to go to school. However, he had no family. However, he had no money. However, he lived in a dump, for heaven's sake. His howevers were as daunting as anybody's in the world, but Claire said, I didn't care about the dirt. I didn't care about the smell. All I knew is this child was a treasure. And so to justice, Claire became Christmas. She didn't see his however, she just saw a whoever. This May, the picture down there in the lower right, Mr. Owesu plans to graduate from Harvard University where he's attended on a full scholarship. He's been studying math, economics, and human rights, aiming for an advanced degree in science. 
In the last 13 years since his escape from the smoldering trash heap that was his home, Mr. Uwesu didn't simply rise to the nation's top academic ranks. He also has overseen his high school's student tutoring program. He's helped to found a youth charity that spread to high schools and nationwide, has supplied health insurance to poor students and given, given medical attention and help and scholastic aid to everyone that he can possibly afford. When people know you're however and they still want you, you know you matter. You know you matter. And I hope with all my heart that if you're here today and you walk in here feeling like you're just one big however, that you've heard the message of God's grace and mercy and how much he loves you through, of all things, the story of a baby born in a manger. And a baby that didn't stay in that manger but grew up and had a plan and a purpose to die on a cross for you because you matter that much. And I'm so hoping you believe that. Because when you believe you matter, you can change a world. It's the only way Jesus could come into this place and go through what we put him through. He knew he mattered to the Father. Even when he didn't understand, could you let this cup pass from me? Could, could we find another way, plan B, C, D, I'll take him with you, whatever. As long as it doesn't involve that cross thing. But not my will, but yours. Because I trust you. I know I matter to you. He changed the world. And he's inviting us to do the same. But it starts with a step this morning that you make. That if maybe you walked in here just feeling trashed by the world and life. Could we wrap our arms around you and pray over you? And, and do our best to keep pointing and walking with you like Mama Ephron did with justice and helping you to see where life is. We'll do that. That's what a church does. That's what we're aiming to be. Not just a church that has some religion it believes. No, we want you to, to be a part of a relationship with this one who came into this world to give you his life. Father in heaven, as we conclude this service together, we give you all the glory, all the praise. But I'm going to ask right now, would your spirit just move among us? Because I'm worried that someone did walk in here today and they feel like they are just leftovers. They don't matter. They've just been ignored, uninvited, to the point they just barely even care. Could we love on them? Could we minister to them today? And if someone here wants to, to say for the first time, I, I want this Jesus in my life, would you stir their heart to have a little courage to come find me? and begin that new life today to step in maybe what would be their best Christmas present ever, your living presence in them, made possible by the death, burial, and resurrection they would experience in this baptistry back here. And to have a family waiting for them when they got out of that baptistry to help come alongside them and help them truly find life. That's the gift we want to give today, God, if we can. On the eve of Christmas, we want to be that Christmas to somebody. Help us, Spirit, if we can do that in some form or fashion. In your son's precious name, amen.